turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the first seven verses. The title of my sermon is The Lost Sheep. Uh, We can read the first seven verses now. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were, I'm putting this very, very simply, but they were responsible for interpreting and enforcing God's laws. They saw publicans and sinners coming to the Lord Jesus Christ to hear his preaching, and Jesus did not distance himself from them. Though he is the sinless Son of God, he came into the world to save such people and to receive them unto himself. And as can be seen in verses 1 and 2, not only did he receive them unto himself, he actually ate with them, he communed with them. In Jesus, what can be seen is love in action and God taking upon himself flesh, pitching his tent in this dark world of sin, coming to unworthy sinners with love and compassion, and that would be most vividly seen at the cross, where Jesus was lifted up and he was suspended between heaven and earth, bearing in his own body the sins of all who would trust in him for forgiveness and reconciliation to God and everlasting life. That is love in action. And we see some of that love in action in these verses before us. Jesus receiving sinners and eating with them. Do you imagine that the indignant and those murmuring religious elite in their robes of self-righteousness saw any of that divine love when they were watching Jesus receiving publican sinners and eating with them? Did they see any of that love? Hardly. All they chose to see were sinful people who were held in contempt, not just by them, but by society as a whole. And what they saw was such people, these sinners, publicans, tax collectors that is, coming to Jesus, the carpenter's son, whom they regarded as having set himself up as a, a rabbi with some kind of Messiah complex. And what did Jesus do? Horror of horrors. He received such people unto himself and he ate with them. 
Consequently, those Pharisees and scribes said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. We see this in the first verses. They held the Lord Jesus Christ in contempt. To them he was nothing more than this man. When you look at what they said in verse 2, as much as they no doubt hated the publicans and they hated the sinners, most of all their venom was reserved for Jesus. Perhaps you can hear them emphasising and hissing the word sinners. But when they hissed that word sinners, they weren't hissing it to the sinners themselves, they were hissing that word to Jesus. Reading between the lines, they were saying something like, look at this man, with all his fanciful claims to be the Messiah, he's eating with filthy sinners. Oh, how they hated Jesus. They really did hate him. As it is written in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53 and verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We certainly see that to be the case with those Pharisees and those scribes. Beyond that, the world as a whole. Jesus said very clearly, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Maybe you've heard it or even done it yourself. You've given voice to an observation in such a way so as to put the boot in and to attack someone in some underhanded way. Let's remember who the target was for the boot of those Pharisees and those scribes. It was none other than the incarnate Son of God. Jesus did not deny the vicious and the malicious accusations of the Pharisees and the scribes. What he did do was respond with a parable. Uh, Let's have a look at that parable again, reading from verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? Let's remember, this is the response of Jesus to those men who were so indignant towards him for receiving sinners and eating with them. And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Just a short parable, isn't it? We'll spend uh, the rest of our time considering that short parable. The parable brings to us an earthly example of how God really does meet with sinners, with love and with compassion. 
The sheep was lost. Quite possibly it was oblivious to its helpless situation, its hopeless predicament. Maybe it was too busy chomping on grass to be to, to appreciate that it could be attacked at any time by a predator. Maybe it was so busy munching on the pasture that it didn't it wouldn't have realized if it um, approached a cliff edge and then went clean over the cliff top to its death. That can be seen as a picture of all who are separated from God by their sin. Until such time they repent and, uh, and receive forgiveness, they are unaware and they are unconcerned about the consequences of their sin, which is everlasting destruction in hellfire, for the wages of sin is death. Never mind predators, never mind falling over a cliff top. Those sheep who are lost, they represent people, people who are lost and far from a God, far from God. It's far more serious. Everlasting destruction awaits them. The lost sheep did not go looking for the shepherd, rather the shepherd went looking for his sheep. In all likelihood, the shepherd exposed himself to various dangers when he went to look for his sheep. The predators, he would have been at risk from those predators. But he was prepared to put his own life at risk for one stupid sheep. What we can be sure of is that Jesus sacrificed his own life for sinners. It's not just about taking a risk. Jesus laid down his life for people like you and like me. As Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You see it there very clearly. As I say, Jesus didn't just uh, take a risk. He laid down his life at the cross in order to save his sheep from their sins. Just as the sheep did not seek the shepherd, it is not within sinful nature of anyone, and that includes you and me, to go looking for Jesus. Instead, it is the sinful the sinful nature causes us to go as far as possible away from God. It's like the psalm, isn't it? Psalm 2. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's what people say to God as they wave their puny fist towards heaven. We do not go looking for God left to our own devices. And when we stray from God, it is a deliberate um, it's a deliberate action spurred on by a stubborn and an unbelieving heart. Spurgeon said, they, that's everybody, like stubborn heifers, have sturdily refused to receive the yoke. Like errant sheep, they have found a gap and left the right field in direct defiance of the law of God. It's a deliberate act. 
We have no excuse. Maybe there's someone in here now. You are far from God and it's deliberate. It's willful. How clearly that was seen to be the case with Adam who ate of the forbidden fruit despite a very clear warning from God and how clearly it can be seen to be the case with all of us. Every time we dishonour God, probably, if you're anything like me, every day of the week, and if you really analyse it, it's probably every moment of every indivisible moment of the day. We deliberately dishonour God for our own, our own sinful and selfish reasons. However, God in his abundant mercy and according to the riches of his grace seeks lost and errant sheep. We see that to be the case in the parable of the lost sheep and similarly in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 Jesus said the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Very clear isn't it? Jesus comes to seek and to save that which is lost. People like us. Errant sheep. The late Bible teacher and preacher Harry Ironside told the story of a new Christian who explained in church how he had been saved from a life of sin. He gave his testimony in church. He gave God the glory saying nothing about what he had done. Apparently someone objected and said to him, You seem to indicate that God did everything when he saved you. Everything? Didn't you do your part before God did his? The new Christian jumped to his feet and said, Oh yes, I did. For more than 30 years I ran away from God as fast as my sins could carry me. That was my my part, but God took out after me and he ran me down. That was his part. That's the reality of it. Every one of you in here who has the promise of heaven, God sought you when you were busy chomping on the grass, doing your own thing, not giving God a thought. In verse 5, when at last the shepherd found his sheep, there was no anger, no harsh words and no ill will towards it. Rather, the shepherd took his sheep upon his shoulders. What did he do? Let's have a look at it again. Verse 5. And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The shepherd rejoiced when he found his lost sheep. According to verse 6, when the shepherd arrived home with his sheep, his friends and his neighbours rejoiced as well. A lot of rejoicing going on. And then in verse 7, we're told by Jesus that all that rejoicing by the shepherd and his friends and his neighbours is a picture of what? Of heavenly glory, sorry, heavenly joy over one repentant sinner. And what a picture of salvation that is. Look at verse 7. I say unto you that likewise 
Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. When Jesus, the good shepherd, saves his people from their sins, he does not yell at them, he does not beat them, despite having had scorn poured upon himself, despite being nailed to a cross, despite having to bear their sins in his own body. He does not yell at you when you become a Christian, does he? Quite possibly, some of the baying crowd that were yelling at Jesus at Calvary and mocking him, maybe some of them turned out to be his sheep as well. We don't know, but it's highly possible that some of that hostile crowd turned out to be sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he came and rescued, saved from their sins. It's reasonable to think that because, again, this would be all of us. All of us who know Jesus now, before we become Christians, we're no better than anyone else. And I hope we appreciate that. And it is only by the grace of God that Jesus comes, he seeks and he saves that which was lost. As the sheep that was found was safe and secure upon the shoulders of the shepherd, the saved sinner is forever safe and secure in the hand of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I read it to you earlier from John chapter 10. In verse 28 through to 30, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I love those verses. I always think about that safe and double safe in the hand of Jesus and in the hand of his Father. You can't get more safe than that, can you? Forever safe. Still looking at verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The 99 just or righteous people points to the Pharisees and the scribes who criticised Jesus and who were unrepentant, who were self-righteous and they regarded Jesus as this man. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, Jesus called them hypocrites and he likened them to whitewashed tombs. He said that on the outside they looked beautiful, but inside they were full of dead men's bones, full of uncleanness. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, having repented of your sins, 
you are such. You really are no different to the scribes and the Pharisees. We've really got two classes of people here to start with in the first couple of verses. The scribes and the Pharisees and then you've got the sinners and the publicans. Well, they're all sinners and all of them are lost until such time they come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we're looking at some people or one category of people who are unrepentant, indignant towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you've got that other category of people who are sitting at the feet of Jesus and eating with him, communing with him. Two very different classes of people, but ultimately all come into this world with sin. All have a need of the Saviour. You really are no different to any of those Pharisees and those scribes who took issue with people because he showed compassion and because he showed love towards sinners. If you are not trusting in him yourself. At the cross, Jesus was sacrificially wounded and bruised for sinners with his stripes. That's what we're told in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. You either believe that or you don't. What does it say about you if you reject that? If you reject Jesus and that gospel message? How can you be any different to those scribes and those Pharisees who see Jesus as this man and nothing else? Putting it another way, If you are not trusting in Jesus, you are like a sheep that is heading for the cliff edge. The only difference is, your fall will be into everlasting destruction. Let's bring all this together now. The parable that we've considered started with the enemies of Jesus criticising him. And rightly claiming that he received sinners and publicans and that he ate with them. And Jesus did not deny it. Rather he told them a parable about a shepherd looking for and finding his lost sheep. Let's be very clear about something. And that is that those sinners that Jesus ate with, they really were contemptible in the sight of the Pharisees, the scribes, and society as a whole. And justly so, in a sense. The publicans, tax collectors, they were collecting taxes for the Roman occupation. And within their ranks, there were Jews. Jews collecting taxes for the Romans, for Caesar. They were seen as traitors. Not only were they traitors, they were thieving traitors. Certainly some of them were thieving traitors. They took more than they were required to. 
And obviously the more that they took ended up in their pockets. It's not for nothing that in Luke chapter 3 verse 12, Jesus said to some publicans, tax collectors, collect no more than that which is appointed you. Collect no more than that which is appointed you. Why would Jesus say that? Unless they were fiddling it and stealing money from people. If they were honest, there'd be no reason to say that. So, we needn't think that they were nice people. Put it that way. Jesus didn't sit with them and eat with them because they were nice. They were sinners. We're told that in the, in the first verses there. They were dishonest, they were sinful, and that highlights the fact that Jesus saves the most despicable people from their sins. And to that we say, thank God for that, that Jesus eats and saves despicable people, because it gives all of us a hope. It should give you hope for yourself. <coughs> that he communes with such people. Are you someone who recognises that you are no better than those publicans, those sinners with whom Jesus communed? Or maybe, again, you're like the, the scribes and the Pharisees who look down upon such people and who look down upon the Son of God. One last thought for you before I finish, and I want you to think very seriously about this as we close. As has been pointed out, this parable is a picture of the incarnate Son of God rejoicing, because that's what it, that's ultimately what the parable is telling us. Jesus, the Son of God, when he when he rescues a lost sinner, one of his sheep, one of those who has been given to him by his father before the foundation of the world, he saves that person from his sin and he rejoices. But not only does Jesus rejoice, he rejoices along with the heavenly host over just one sinner who comes to repentance. What it says there. Look at verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Also, it has been pointed out that in John chapter 10, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd and he assures his sheep, as I've said already, that they are safe, they are doubly safe, in his hand and in his father's hand. You've really got to take this in. The rejoicing by Jesus, the rejoicing in heaven, the fact that he is the good shepherd, we see it in our parable. You, you can see it in John chapter 10. You can apply it to Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Us who have the benefit of having the New Testament scriptures, we know that the shepherd is Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd. And then you can come to the bottom of Psalm 23 and say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord Jesus Christ forever.
take all that in. Yet for all that, there are Christians who say that sinners who have been found, in other words, sinners who have been saved, can become lost again. Not only can they become lost again, but they can become lost again forevermore. Maybe there's someone in here who's been taught that. Maybe you've actually believed that. It's wrong. It's definitely wrong. And you, if you're a Christian, you really need to dismiss that idea that um, you can be lost having been found. You may stray. I've been there and maybe there's Christians in here who have, because of sin, you strayed. But then God has brought you back into the fold. But you can never be eternally lost if you are found. Spurgeon mocked that view that you can be lost having been found. He said that those who hold to it need to go up to heaven and set the angels straight on this matter. They need to tell the angels and Jesus not to rejoice until the saved sinner dies and goes to heaven because they might be rejoicing too soon. What if a sinner repents but later falls away? And Jesus has been rejoicing. There's been rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who's come to repentance. All that rejoicing in heaven. And then a week, a year, ten years later, that sinner falls away. Do you really think that's going to happen? I think Spurgeon made a very good and valid point. The shepherd in the parable didn't just look for any old sheep. He sought and he found his own. That is a picture of Jesus seeking and saving the sheep that his father had given to him. We've been looking at that on Sunday mornings. Jesus praying for his, uh, for those whom his father has given him. His great high priestly prayer. If you are one of those sheep whom Jesus has found, his sheep, he has found you, he has saved you, well now he prays for you in heaven as your great heavenly high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for you and he will save you to the uttermost and you do have that promise that you will be with him where he is in glory. This is what you need to believe because this is what the Bible teaches May it please God for there to be rejoicing in heaven as each one of you comes to know his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your good shepherd. And while you were yet a sinner, he sought you, he found you, and he saved you forevermore. Amen.